Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? Hi, welcome to episode one of the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. And today we're going to talk about how hydration impacts your digestion and regularity, and of course, your bowel movements, your poops. Some basics. We know everybody poops and we know everybody needs water. How are these two things connected? Are they connected? Yes, they are. How are they? Let's get into that. So also, why is there a need for this episode? I'll tell you why. It's estimated that 75% of U.S. adults are chronically dehydrated. This means a vast majority of us are not actually supporting ourselves for optimal health and organ function. Things like your liver, your kidneys, your heart, your brain, you know, those things, no big deal. Dehydration directly impacts the ability of your organs to function properly and at their optimal level. So to break this down, 75% of U.S. adults are chronically dehydrated. Chronic meaning long-term, not a one-off day or a bad week. We mean they're dehydrated for months, even years. And that's the stat, 75% of us being chronically dehydrated. So it's a pretty significant amount of people and chronic meaning long-term. Clearly, this is an issue that most of us need to address. So wet your beak on that and let it sink in. Are you dehydrated? Probably, which means you're probably also constipated. But we'll get to that shit in a bit. First, I wanted to address a few things about hydration in our bodies before we get to the bulk of the shit talk. So first off, hydration assists in nutrient delivery by getting things like your water-soluble vitamins, minerals, and even certain medications into our bloodstream so that they can be delivered to your cells and your organs. So getting these nutrients where they need to go helps support our energy levels because you're providing your organs with what they need to actually do their jobs. For example, A lack of proper hydration, so when you're dehydrated, this directly impacts your blood flow and circulation, which then causes the heart to have to work even harder to properly distribute oxygen, which as you can imagine, is fucking exhausting. Something like this leads to fatigue. All of our organs need to work harder and overcompensate when we're dehydrated and when they're not receiving what they need to do their job. So clearly water helps support our cells, our organs, and our energy levels. And I can tell you in practice, it's incredible to me, the amount of clients who report improved energy levels when they start increasing their water. I understand water is not typically associated with energy. People don't think, oh, I'm tired. I need to drink water or, oh, drink water. It'll help boost my energy. But when you're dehydrated, that is one of the first things you'll notice is an increase in your energy when you actually start hydrating appropriately. So just take note of that, please. Next, so just as water carries nutrients to our organs, it also helps with toxin elimination and carrying nonsense out of and away from our cells for excretion. This is why oftentimes someone who increases their water drastically will report glowing skin or clearer skin. Yeah, no shit. This is due to more efficient and productive toxin elimination thanks to the water. So I'm not going to sit here and say water should be your number one beauty go-to, but it's definitely something that does impact the way you look, your skin, toxin elimination, bloat, things like that. It's not just about, oh, I'm thirsty, drink. There's so much more to why we need to hydrate. So on to everyone's favorite topic, weight. So many of you may already know that water helps you feel fuller for longer, which typically leads to less snacking and lower caloric intake 
Overall, dehydration directly impacts our weight in a few ways. For example, oftentimes when you're dehydrated, you may experience a rumbling in your stomach and mistake it for hunger, like hunger pangs or your stomach growling, when really your body's signaling thirst. I realize this seems weird, but it's actually true. And this is why it's so important, especially if you are trying to lose weight or maintain a certain weight, it's important for you to be able to differentiate dehydration pangs from hunger pangs. Tip number one that I have for this, first off, is don't allow your body to even get to the point where it's signaling to you that it's thirsty because that means you're dehydrated. If you stay hydrated and drink adequate amounts of water throughout your day, you're not going to have to distinguish hunger pangs from dehydration pangs because you're not going to be dehydrated. So I realize things are easier said than done, but the the most obvious answer here is just don't become dehydrated. Drink your water. (laughs) Tip number two. And I recommend this with a lot of clients and it does help significantly is if you're, if you ate, you know, an hour, two hours ago and you feel hungry, the hunger pangs, or in this case, dehydration pangs. And you're like, why am I hungry? I just ate, drink 12 ounces of water and wait 10 minutes. If you're still experiencing pangs, drink another 12 ounces of water and wait another 10 minutes. Usually, especially people just ate. They noticed there's no more pangs. They were dehydrated. Their body got what they needed. They feel fine. If after the 24 ounces and 20 minutes, you're still, your stomach's growling, then you're probably hungry and that's fine. Eat. If you're hungry, you should eat. The thing to note here is if you're hungry an hour or two after a meal, then we need to look at what you're eating. What kind of nutrients are you getting? Is it a balanced meal? Because meals should be keeping us full for ideally four hours. I'd say three to four hours. Um, so, you know, one to two hours after eating, if you're truly hungry, then we, we have other, other work to do. Another tidbit that I love in relation to hydration and water and fat and weight is that the body actually stores fat when we're dehydrated, which obviously works directly against weight loss efforts. But the reason for this is the bot, when you're dehydrated, the body goes into survival mode. So it's actually incredible that the body knows how to do this, but by storing fat, it can actually extract two hydrogen and one oxygen or H2O molecules from fat. Fat's made up of a fatty acid and glycerol molecule. From there, it can extract the two hydrogens and oxygens. So your body is doing this to prepare for the worst. You're dehydrated. It knows it has fat stored. It can extract the H2O molecules as needed. This brings up the issue again of chronic dehydration that I cited in the beginning. So if you're chronically dehydrated, which 75% of you are, your body is chronically in some way, shape or form in survival mode, which means it's prompting itself and preparing to endure the worst. And in this case, one of those things is storing fat. So if you are chronically dehydrated, this means your body has probably more stored fat than it truly needs. That's just something to think about. Moving on, a few other things that water does that are very important, helps lubricate our joints. So our joint cartilage is actually 80% water. When you're dehydrated, you will notice most likely stiffer joints. Water also impacts headaches, as many of you may know. Inadequate water intake can cause our brains to contract, which results in headaches. And I have to say, just the concept that dehydration can cause my brain to contract freaks me the fuck out. I I just, that is the fact that your brain can change sizes basically is scary. So imagine you're so dehydrated that your brain becomes smaller. If that's not motivating for you to hydrate, I don't know what is, but I'm just saying, keep that in mind next time 
you're thirsty or you recognize you haven't had water all day. Think about the size of your brain at that point. Okay, now on to the big nutrition shit talk topic of the day, water and our digestion. How does water impact digestion? How does water, how does dehydration impact our digestion? So water helps us digest food properly. It aids in nutrient breakdown. One of the most important ones is fiber, an indigestible carbohydrate that helps us stay regular and keep things moving. This is very important when it comes to shit talk. So when you're dehydrated, it can lead to constipation. A lack of water slows everything down in the system. Like we said previously, your organs need to overcompensate and work harder. This causes fatigue in the body and nothing has what it needs to perform at 100%. So everything's lagging. Everything's slowed down a little. In terms of the GI tract and constipation, when we're dehydrated and lagging, the GI tract moves more slowly. So your stool or your poops are moving more slowly through your digestive system and they're spending more time in the GI tract. This allows the colon more time to actually absorb and extract water from the stools. Again, I, I realize this sounds kind of strange. It's another example of the body being in survival mode. Everything is slowed down. You're dehydrated. Where can I get water from? I've already stored some fat, which I know I can extract H2O from. Next, the large intestine and the colon will actually extract water from your stools to maintain hydration. So again, kind of incredible that the body knows how to do this and you know has built-in mechanisms to survive on its own. But we don't want dry stools because dry stools lead to constipation. Now we have a slower GI tract, drier poops, drier stools, and nothing is flowing as smoothly. This brings us to our handy dandy Bristol stool chart. Many of you may be familiar with this. Some of you not so much. That's okay. There's several types on it. I think there's like six or seven types. Type one is the most constipated. It's small and pebbly poops. Type two, it's less constipated than type one, but it's still constipated and it's a full poop, but lumpy. So it's starting to almost break into those pebbles, but it hasn't broken off yet. So drier stools break apart. That's hence the pebbles. Think of like clay. I don't know if any of you used to do clay or ceramics, um, like art class, anything like that. But when you're, you know, forming the clay, making things, you have to keep wetting your hands. When the clay is wet and lubricated, it holds together nicely. It forms into what you want it to form. And it, it's just a smoother consistency. When it's dry, it breaks apart and it cracks. Think of your poop. When it's dry, it breaks apart into these lumps. It cracks. It's harder. It's not as smooth and lubricated from water. So it's similar to that. Another thing to note is that the mucus that coats our GI tract is actually 95% water. So as you can imagine, when you're dehydrated, the GI tract is less lubricated. And again, this impacts the efficiency in which the GI tract is moving. Stools are not moving as quickly through. They're sitting in your system longer. More water can be extracted, leading to drier stools and constipation. So I hope some of that is motivation for you to start drinking more water. How do you combat constipation? So if this isn't obvious, then you should just stop listening. But the first thing is drink water because this entire episode basically has been dedicated to hydration and how that's important for our poop and constipation and avoiding constipation. Another thing you can do, which again, we've mentioned a few times is eating fiber. So fiber is found in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, Fruits like berries and kiwi are actually very high in fiber, basically plants in general. So 
um, plant-based proteins like beans and lentils, chia seeds as well, very helpful, salads, greens, leafy greens, any veggies in general, that's going to help up your fiber intake. Um, And one thing to note about chia seeds, it's one of my favorite plant-based proteins, high in the healthy omega-3 fatty acids, high in fiber. They actually gelatinize. So they're small little seeds and they absorb water. When they're in your system, in your stomach, they can expand to 10 times their size. And what I love about chia seeds, so they expand to 10 times their size holding water, which keeps you hydrated as it is. On top of that, since they gelatinize, on the, as they move through the GI tract, they actually pick up debris and thing. I guess debris is not the right word, but they pick up things along the way throughout your GI tract. So it's actually like an amazing party guest that comes, hydrates, and on their way out, cleans and takes other garbage along with them and leaves you hydrated. <laughs> um, so chia seeds easily added to things like overnight oats, or you can make a chia seed pudding. You can sprinkle them on avocado toast. You can add them to salads for a crunch. I always recommend having them in some sort of liquid. It really does help with smoother bowel movements and actually cleaner bowel movements. I have a lot of clients report they'll have chia seeds once a day, like one to two tablespoons. And after doing this for, I would say like a week, two weeks, they notice that they either don't have to wipe when they go to the bathroom or they wipe significantly less. It really does help cause and form a clean bowel movement, which is kind of amazing. So that's one of my favorite plant-based proteins and fibers. Another thing to note, um, if you're looking for something like a delivery service, there is one called Saqqara. It's 100% plant-based and organic. I love it. I've been using them for years. Um, and you know, not, it's not something that's typically sustainable for the rest of your life, but I'd say if you're traveling and coming home, you know, you're not going to want to cook that week, or you have a busy week for whatever reason, you're not going to have time to cook. This is a great thing to do in advance, set yourself up for success, order it, and you can choose from three, four, five day plans. Um, and I actually have a link and a 20% off code, which I will, uh, link to in the show notes and that's for Saqqara. So definitely take a look at their food. It's all delicious. You won't be disappointed. Another way to combat constipation is to move your body, rev up the system. When we sit all day, um, you know, you're not really, you're not moving your system. Your organs are sort of, you know, sitting there working, but nothing is stepping up its game, if that makes sense. And these days we sort of have the perfect equation for constipation, sedentary lifestyle, no one's drinking water, a lack of plants. You're basically doomed. I'm just kidding. You're not doomed, but moving at least, I'd say if you can get in a 10 minute walk once every hour, that's great. A great way to move your body. I don't say, you know, go train for the marathon, but just getting things moving, not staying sedentary will help the GI tract move things along. Another thing you can do is, um, supplement with magnesium. So typically, of course, this is, you know, specific and unique to everyone. I don't recommend supplementing unless you've had blood work done and know you are deficient in something specific. Magnesium is a mineral that most adults are deficient in and specifically magnesium citrate or oxide help you relax. They help the bowels relax. So I recommend taking them in the evening. And when you wake up, they typically help facilitate a smooth bowel movement. And if you notice you are a little bit constipated, this is something that can help aid um, 
getting that bowel movement in. So the last thing I'd like to mention is keep in mind, a lot of people don't know this, which I always find fascinating that doctors put people on opioids and painkillers and they don't mention that things like morphine and oxycodone, it slows your system down and oftentimes leads to constipation. So most people I've ever encountered that are on some sort of opioid or painkiller are experiencing constipation. This is not crazy. This makes sense. It's slowing your system down. What What is crazy and doesn't make sense is that the doctors don't let you know this when they are prescribing. And some do, I'm sure, but I think it's pretty common that I see people in practice and they're taking morphine or oxycodone and they're constipated and they don't know why. It's because of that and that's okay, but up your fiber intake, up your water, make an effort to move, maybe add in the magnesium. But that's something just to keep note of. Now, moving on to some common questions I get in practice. I'm sure many of you have these questions um, and maybe some others, which I'll reiterate at the end, but I encourage you to DM me directly, Liz underscore Broder, as then I can incorporate your questions and feedback into next week's and the coming week's episodes. Um, so the first episode, uh, first episode, excuse me, the first question I get that is very common is, can I drink coffee and tea? Do they count towards overall fluid intake? How do they impact hydration and dehydration? So short answer is yes, you can drink coffee, you can drink tea. They count towards your overall fluid intake. One thing to know, coffee is a diuretic, which means it causes you to pee and go to the bathroom. It also helps stimulate bowel movements. So if you are constipated, some people do note that coffee can help them go. But in terms of fluid loss, it's technically a diuretic. If you're having one to two cups a day, it's nothing to worry about. You're not losing excessive amounts of fluids from one to two cups of coffee where it doesn't count towards your overall intake. If you are having, I'd say like four cups a day or more, then it could definitely be contributing to dehydration just given how much it will impact you going to the bathroom and fluid loss. So yes, coffee counts towards your overall fluid intake, as does tea. Tea is loaded with antioxidants, polyphenols. Tea is always yes, hard yes for tea. There's nothing wrong with coffee. Coffee has actually antioxidants and plenty of benefits, but it is diuretic. So just keep that in mind if you are dehydrated or if you know you have, you know, at least three or four cups a day, even more, then I would say take a look at that and make sure you're hydrating extra just because of the fluid loss. Second question, and this is the most obvious question. I think a lot of people are probably afraid to ask this, but most important, how much water should I be drinking? So a good rule of thumb is to aim for half your body weight in ounces of water per day. So you're 120 pounds, half of 120 is 60, aim for 60 ounces a day. 300 pounds, you're aiming for 150 ounces a day. I know everyone has it in their head, like 64 ounces. I don't necessarily know where that number came from. It's, I think it's like a standard number, like, oh, eight cups. This makes sense for a lot of people. I mean, in all honesty, 64 ounces is adequate for if you're 120 pounds, but I would say most people are more than 120 pounds. So 64 ounces is not going to be adequate hydration for most people, but just you know, I hear you if in your head you're like 64 ounces, that's that will suffice. For most people, it doesn't. So do half your body weight in ounces. And of course, this, this varies based on your activity level, the climate, any current disease state. So 
hotter temperatures, increased physical activity. If your body's in a distressed state, like you have the flu, a cold, you're fighting off some sort of virus or bacteria. This, these things all increase your needs. Obviously, hotter temperatures, especially if you're more physically active, more sweating, more fluid loss. In terms of rehydrating, the American Council on Exercise has basic guidelines. Again, this is not a one-size-fits-all, but this is generally good rules of thumb for when you're trying to rehydrate. So they advise drinking 7 to 10 ounces of water for every 10 to 20 minutes during exercise. So if you're working out for an hour, make sure you're drinking 20 to 30 ounces during that one hour workout, in addition to what you're drinking for the day. And they also advise drinking at least eight ounces of water, no more than 30 minutes after you exercise. So make sure you're rehydrating quickly. But in terms of, you know, more intense athletic activities, so athletes may want to actually measure how much fluid they lose during exercise to get a more specific measurement of how much to drink. So for that, what you do is you weigh yourself before exercise and then after, and the loss in fluid will be determined in your weight. And then it's recommended that you drink 16 to 24 ounces of water for every pound lost. This is, again, this is more into sports um, nutrition. And I will have a sports dietitian coming on in later episodes in this season to speak more specifically to this. But that's just a general rule of thumb, aiming for 16 to 24 ounces of water for every pound you lose during activity. The last question that I get pretty often in practice and it makes sense. Again, does it matter when I drink? Do I need to drink the morning? Do I need to drink at night? Blah, blah, blah. So does it matter? No, not technically, but as everything I've said here in terms of water impacting energy levels, helping keeping you full longer, helping everything function optimally, I always say stack 50 to 60% in the first half of your day. So by like noon, which then gives you until dinner to finish the rest. Yeah, you can come home from work, you've had 30 ounces, say you need 70, you can come home from work and chug the 40 ounces to hit your goal of 70 ounces. But did that really support you throughout the day? Were you tired? I'm sure your organs were lagging. If you did physical activity, you're definitely dehydrated. Ideally, you're spreading it out throughout the day so that you're hydrated throughout the day and reaping the benefits of that. Um, But technically, you know, if you don't drink all day and you come home and drink 100 ounces, obviously that's going to interfere with sleeping, waking up to go to the bathroom. And we don't want that. Sleep is so important. So I always recommend cutting off food and drink at least two to three hours before bed because digestion can absolutely impact your sleep as can needing to pee. So doesn't matter when I drink, not technically, but that's not what I advise. I advise having majority in the first half of your day and gradually decreasing closer to bed, cutting off two to three hours. And obviously if you have physical activity, you know, hydrating before, hydrating during, and of course hydrating afterward. Now moving on to shit talk of other kinds. So obviously this is the shit talk podcast. I'm a dietitian. Every episode will focus on some sort of digestion, bowel movement, poop related nutrition topic. And, you know, feel free to send in questions or comments regarding these topics. But I'm also you know, open to shit talk of any kind. So anything relevant, anything going on, anything I've experienced recently that I feel needs to be called out. And so today, one of the things I thought was worth mentioning about shit talk is the biggest shit talker of them all, (laughs) Um, Kanye West. Does anyone have any opinions on this? Obviously, in my opinion, talk about a real piece of shit. 
what I don't get is does he not have a team or people who can check in on him or someone who can say, look, you know, take a minute off social media or like get the rest of the team together and be like, guys, Connie's not in a good place. We need to check him into XYZ or reach out to this doctor. This is the part I don't understand because he is someone obviously with followers, with influence, with notoriety. So when he says things that are harmful, it's going to have impact. Whether, you know, people are educated, uneducated. If you see someone like him speaking about certain topics, it does have a weight for you. So, you know, whether it's heavyweight or minimal weight, but it, it, it will have an impact. So I'm just not understanding how someone with lawyers, doctors, a team, you know, as those guys call it, their team, my agent, everyone working for them, how someone at this point hasn't stepped in. Forget about the harm he's doing to the country and anyone he decides to rant about, but the harm he's doing to himself. He does have children. He's losing all of his deals his endorsements. I'm not understanding how no one has has stepped in, especially if you look at someone like Brittany, who really she was the biggest harm and threat to herself, nobody else, whereas Kanye is literally a threat to, I don't want to say humankind, but kind of he is. Um, so Brittany was on lockdown and medicated and controlled and micromanaged for over a decade. Um, you know, but Kanye is still continuing, continuing to run his mouth. So just wondering when that is going to be taken care of. That's, in my opinion, definitely something worth mentioning on Shit Talk because he's the biggest shit talker of them all. And I wouldn't say the biggest piece of shit that I know, but close to it. So yeah, let me know what your thoughts. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Shit Talk. Once again, please DM me directly, Liz underscore Broder, B-R-O-D-E-R. I'd love to get your comments, questions, feedback, topics you want me to hit later on, any specific questions relating to today's content or anything specific you want me to address. I'd love to hear it. And I do have info I will link in the show notes, including the Sakara link and 20% off discount code. And other than that, I hope you have an amazing week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.